today we're going to talk about the fatherhood of God and really just point us to God. So this week, um, I have two daughters, a new six-year-old <laughs> who just turned six, and then Reagan is almost five. And, and so this week, uh, Missy was in the States on business, and so I was like, Early, the early part of this week, it was just me, which I always hate. Missy's only gone for two days when she does these trips, like four times a year, but it feels like two years she's gone. It's like there's so much, uh, and, and that's just, I'm just two days, so I sound pretty pathetic for you single parents out there who are like, you're doing it 24 hours a day all the time. But uh, I was making the girls lunch, and uh, Missy always, when, when she makes lunch, she always puts a treat in there. When I make lunch, I always forget to. I always forget to put a little treat in there. So, yeah, I know. Um, so the girls come home. I pick them up from school. They come home. And it hit me then. I was like, oh, girls, I'm so sorry. I forgot to put a treat in there for you. And Emerson looks at me, and she's like, that's okay, Daddy. You're still the best Daddy. And I was like, that is so awesome. I gave her celery and not a treat, and she still thinks I'm the best Daddy. <laughs> that's so cool. And then uh, last night... Uh, we were together last night, um, us four, and um, I don't know, Father's Day came up, and Reagan looks at me, and she's like, we're talking about Father's Day, and she's like, oh, tomorrow I get to celebrate Father's Day two times or something like that. She, says, I, she said, I have two daddies, and I was like, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that used to be a TV show in the 80s, but uh, she was like, I have you, and I have God. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so awesome that she, said the, that she said that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about God as Father today. Um, and I'm really excited about this new series. So you see the banners. It's called Jesus Calling. I've said this for the, the past couple of weeks. We, um, we took 16 weeks through a four-chapter book in Philippians. And now we're going to take the next two months and go through the whole Bible. I know it's kind of like a lot. But the plan is to give, give you guys an overview of the Bible. So um, we're not going to go deep into things. I mean, even the verse that Molly read this morning, I'm not going to fully dive into. It's just setting the stage. I'll talk about it, but it's setting the stage for um, the Bible, really. And so each, each sermon in this series is going to build on the next, and we're going to see what it looks like. Um, but first... Uh, there's some things in the Bible that you may or may not be aware of are in there. And, hey, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just some, there's some things in the Bible. So uh, I was talking to someone this week, and we were talking about these things. And it just reminded me of how crazy the Bible seems sometimes when you talk about these things. Uh, so <clears throat> there's, this, there's this account in the Bible where the prophet Elijah who's one of the great prophets in, in Israel, um, in the Old Testament, he outruns a chariot. So he's like the Flash. Like, he's like a superhero, like the Flash. He outruns his chariot. Um, it's like basically a half marathon, 27 kilometers, a little over a half marathon. So basically, Teresa, you ran a 5K today. Elijah, like, blew past that. So, um, like, that's in the Bible, also, Elijah was fed by ravens at one point. He's like in the wilderness. He has no food. He's drinking from this brook, and God sends ravens with meat and other things to feed him. Um, it's like a Disney movie. It's like he's like calling the birds to him, and they bring him food. 
Um, if I was Elijah, I would have like grabbed one of those birds and, and eaten it. But, <laughs> but uh, God, God does that in the Bible. This is, this is how much God cared about Elijah. Um, there's a story of Samson in the Bible. If you're not familiar with the story of Samson, this guy has super strength. He's like Superman. Um, well, he can't fly or doesn't have lasers or anything, but he has super strength. So, uh, which is, it's like when you, if you haven't grown up in church and you see that, you think, why is that there? Um, what is, what is that for? There's, there's other things in the scriptures like that. I mean, Jesus, when, when Jesus resurrects from the dead, um, he appears to the disciples in a locked room. So the room is locked. The disciples are in there cowering for their lives because they're so scared that the Romans are going to get them. And they're just hunkering down, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears. So Jesus either, like, walked through the wall, or he just appeared in front of them, or he was hiding in one of the cabinets. I don't know. Um, but it, it gives you the sense that Jesus in his resurrection body, there's something different there. And then also in, in the book of Acts, this is, this is the church. When the church is being established, the, one of the deacons of the church, his name is Philip, he basically gets teleported. Like that's, that's I don't want to put that word on it, uh, but it, the scriptures say he gets carried away by the Spirit from one place to 55 kilometers away, and Philip is like, oh, well, I'm in Azotus now, which is 55 kilometers away from where he was. Just like that. And he disappears, says he disappears right before the eyes of, of the Ethiopian eunuch. This is all in the Bible, okay? Um, so kind of like, you, you read that stuff and you're like, wait, is that, I mean, what, what is that there for? I mean, this is supernatural stuff. I, I believe in God. I believe that God can do stuff like this, right? Um, but the point of this series isn't to give you a bunch of information. It isn't to give you all these Bible stories. It isn't to tell you uh, what's, what's in the Bible necessarily, but it's to tell you why those things are in the Bible. So that when you read a story like Samson, who has super strength, um, and there's so many accounts of Samson in the scriptures, when you read a story like that, you know why it's there. And you know why God, if God is God, then he's supernatural, I meaning he's, he's above nature, right? He's supernatural. Um, this, this goes against God in nature. God is above nature. And uh, you, you start to see why God would even do those things. So that's the point of this series. I want to give you this overview of the Bible. Now, the Bible is, well, he, well here's the problem. So the thing is, you, you don't really care what God did 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, a million years ago, if it has nothing to do with you today. If it has no relevance for you today, we might as well just throw this book out. Like, who cares that this guy had super strength? If it doesn't speak to me today, if it has nothing to do with me today, then, then what's the big deal? And most of us, we actually don't think about this stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, right? I mean, you go through your day and your cares aren't, man, uh, I wish I knew why Samson had super strength. Um, your cares are, I gotta pay my bills today. How am I gonna pay my bills? Your cares are, I hope I do well at this job interview. I hope I get this job. Uh, I just want to get out of bed today. I'm depressed. I have anxiety. I just need to get out of bed. Like those are, those are our cares, right? Our cares are more, more individual. They're more, they're more focused on, on us. And, and this, this book, the Bible here, answers all those things. 
Now, I'm not saying that I can say, okay, who am I going to marry? And I open this up, and I'm, I'm like, oh, Jezebel. That's the name I need to look for. <laughs> oh, the first name I see is King David. I need to look for a king. His name's going to be David. Like, I'm not saying that's, the Bible is not a crystal ball. It doesn't, like, answer all those cares in that sense. What the Bible does do is take your cares and says, they don't have to dictate you anymore. You actually can dictate your cares. You actually can change what you care about. And your cares don't have to control you anymore. And the Bible frees us to do that. And so, um, that's, that's the essence of the Bible. So this, the Bible is, is this story. It's, at heart, it's, it's a story. You know, it's not, it's not a religious set of rules and principles and do's and don'ts. It's not, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a religion. Um, it's not a history book. It's not a science book, you know, so we don't go and, and, and try to take science and put it into the Bible, because the Bible never meant to be a book on science, and that's why I think science and uh, science can be compatible with, with this book, and history can be compatible with this book, but the book never claims to be those things. The book claims to be a story, your story, our story, the story of humans, the story of, of humankind, and the story of a God who stepped into this world after he created it to do something magnificent and wonderful. That's the story of the scriptures. And it's a story that is authoritarian in nature, okay? And that's in a good way, not a bad way. It's a, it's, it's a book that says this, this, what this says here, is the real world, okay? And so in that sense, it's authoritarian. It says, this is the world. This is how you should view it. Not because um, I view it this way or because you view it this way, but because this, is, this claims to be how God views the world and how God views history. And that's what makes it authoritarian, that authoritative. And so um, there's, and, it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't hedge on that. It's not saying if, if this is, the Bible doesn't say if, if you want to believe this, it's, it's good for you, and it's, it's not good for you. The Bible says, no, you accept it or you don't accept it, but this is the way it is. And God is saying this is the way the world is. So this is God's perspective on, on the world, on your story. And so when we go to the Bible, when we go to the scriptures, we're actually going to God's perspective on who we are. And that should free us, because most of the times, our cares are focused on our perspective of who we are, um, what we need to get done, what we're worrying about. And the Bible is saying, no, 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 no. You've got that all wrong. You're part of something much greater than, than your individual self. The Bible says things throughout it like, you're here today, you're, here today, you're gone tomorrow. You're just, you're just a, a vapor, it says. Um, but the good news is you're part of something much grander, much greater than your individual life. And, then, and the Bible starts out by showing us that with the fatherhood of God. And so on Father's Day, like I said, we're going to talk about fatherhood because that's where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with saying God is a father, not just a father. He's the perfect father, okay? And now um, this, this is important theologically. God, God isn't, the Bible doesn't emphasize God's motherhood, okay? The Bible actually doesn't talk about God having motherhood. 
the Bible talks about God having fatherhood. This is very important because um, it's not that God doesn't have motherly characteristics. God has all those characteristics. The Bible talks about God having motherly characteristics, like he's compassionate and he's loving. These are, these are typical motherly characteristics. There's a passage in, this, in the Bible that says, God is like a mother hen, like putting, putting us under his wings. Like those are, those are motherly images of God. But the Bible never does talk about God's motherhood. It talks about God's fatherhood. And this is important because when... Um, when Moses writes this, this is in the ancient Near East, thousands and thousands of years ago, he writes this in a time where, where there's so many different cultic religions happening and so many, uh, so many different gods, deities. And the majority of those deities outside of Israel were female deities. Okay, so the argument for, for against Christianity is, oh, well... God and God's fatherhood is God came out of a patriarchal society, and that's why he's a father, and, and that's why we use masculine terms for God, things like this. But all we're doing is we're importing our own culture into, into this old culture. When Moses writes this, and he emphasizes God's fatherhood and reveals God this way, he does it because all the other religions around him are emphasizing the motherhood of their gods. Okay? This is important because... It, it sets the stage for creation. Because all these other tribal deities and, and cultic religions, God as mother um, births the world out of, out of herself. So the world is attached, and it's an extension of the mother, of the motherhood of, of that God, okay? Which is pantheism, which is God is in everything, God is in this world, he's a part of this world. Christianity says, no, that's not true. God is separate from this world. He created this world, and he's actually distinct from creation, okay? And that is where Moses emphasizes God as father. And the argument goes, you know, he rose out of a patriarchal society. If that's actually true, then these ones who have female deities, they would have a matriarchal society, and they would be treating women better. And actually, that is not true. If you look at the surrounding religions all throughout much of history, they treated women more poorly, and um, they weren't matriarchal societies. They were even more patriar patriarchal, okay? We can even look at modern day uh, right now. There's female deities, modern day. Uh, Hinduism's god, Kali, is one of them. And it has done nothing for elevating women. In fact, the Bible throughout history has elevated women to a status that the rest of the surrounding culture has not done. Check out Proverbs 31 in the Old Testament. If you've never read Proverbs 31, it, this is written in a patriarchal society, what we look at back as a patriarchal society. Um, it's it's uh, written thousands and thousands of years ago, and it elevates the woman above what the surrounding culture does. This is Proverbs 31. This is the last chapter in the book of wisdom in the Bible. And it, talks, and it talks about the woman and elevates her. You look at the New Testament, it does the same thing. So Christianity historically has actually done more for women than, uh, than, than any other religion. And so this is, this is key because God, uh, Moses emphasizes God as father when he writes this for those reasons. Because it shows that God is distinct. It shows that God is 
perfect, that he's, that he's intimate, that he's personal, that he's good. Um, and again, this doesn't take away from God uh, having motherly characteristics because he embodies all those things as well. God is the, the cool thing, the amazing thing, the divine mystery about God is that he is uh, holy, yet he's intimate and personal. He is uh, transcendent above all, yet he is thoroughly near us, imminent. He's all-powerful, yet he's all-loving. And he's those at all the same time. One at the same time, he's all those things. That's the divine mystery. That's, that's what makes God a perfect father. That's what makes him so special. That's what establishes his, his fatherhood right at the beginning. And we see at the beginning, he creates the world. There's, there's a creation account right in the first two chapters. It says he creates the world, and then it shows the rest of things where, where God uh, creates some other things. And, and it shows that God is both almighty and he's a father at the same time. Because we see the Trinity in here. She just, uh, Molly just read this, where God says, let us make make mankind in, in our image. This is Trinitarian language. It's God the Father there, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God is Father because that's how Jesus talks about God. So even if you throw out the Old Testament, Jesus, when he talks to God, he refers to him as Father. When he teaches us how to pray, he says, start with Father. Uh, when he talks about, you see him, when he talks about him, he talks about him as Father. He says uh, to, to each group, different groups he's talking to that uh, I do what my father says. He, he talks about God like this all the time. So we can even throw out everything I just said and go to the New Testament, and we still see God as father there. And, and so this is, this is huge for us as we jump into the scriptures in this series because um, God as father, when we begin to hear God as father, this is the, the bottom line for today, what, what I want you to take from today. When you begin to hear God as father, you'll begin to trust Jesus as son and obey the spirit as truth, okay? Throughout this whole series, we're gonna talk about three words, hear, trust, and obey. This is our discipleship paradigm at Trinity Life Church. It's not a program, it, there's no metrics. It is, are you hearing God? Are you trusting him enough to obey him? And that's it, that's what makes you a disciple of Jesus. That's how you gauge whether you're following Jesus more closely or not if you're hearing the voice of God and trusting him and obeying him. And when you do that as God is Father, it allows you to trust Jesus as Son and obey the Spirit and truth, okay? So let's jump into this passage. Uh, Genesis, this is Genesis 1:26, right at the beginning of the book uh, of, of the Bible. Um, he says that God says that he created mankind in his own image. And image there, image there refers to a few different things, um, but it, what it literally means is something cut out of something else. So when God says, I made mankind in my own image, he's literally saying, I cut something out of myself and made mankind. It's very personal. It's very intimate. And so there's, there's three things um, on there, Teresa, the relational these are, these are three things that talk about the image of God. There are three views on the image. So the first one is representative, and this refers to God's characteristics, okay? Second one is relational, refers to how we interact with each other. And the second, or the third one is functional, you know, what we do. 
And so some people believe that in the image, different ones of those are emphasized, but I believe it's all those things. You know, it's in what we do that we represent God. It's in how we interact with each other that we represent God. And it's also in the characteristics that we embody. So um, we can love like God. We can have joy like God. We can uh, be just like God is just, you know, etc. So the image here is, is, uh, is, is very personal because when God says, let us make man, it's different from how he's talked about the rest of creation. The rest of creation, he said, let there be light. Let there be animals on the ground. Let, there be, let, the, let the sky separate from the water and create ocean and sky. Let there be this, let there be that. When it comes to creating man, he says, let us make. And it's totally different there. So even when you're reading it, you see a distinction in, in God creating something that's distinct from himself, and then now God creating something that, is, that he's putting all of himself into, this image that he's putting into. And, and that's, that's God's fatherhood. It's, it's personal. It's, it's, it's imminent. He's near us. But he's also... It's also distinct, okay? So when God does this, he sets us up for something very beautiful. He sets us up for, for living in something that is very awesome. Um, and we'll touch on that a little later. One of the problems is we've lost that a little bit. So if we, if we go into the next, next chapter in Genesis, so basically I'm going to give you the first three chapters of Genesis uh, over the next few minutes because if we don't really understand the first three chapters of Genesis, then we're going to have a hard time understanding the rest of the Bible. If you look at a lot of the writers in, in the Bible, a lot of them are always referring back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So um, we're going to take the rest of the time and just sit, sit on these, these things. So when God creates uh, man and woman, Adam and Eve, he puts them in a garden. So everything is perfect. He says everything is very good. And they're in the garden. They're living life. We don't know how long they're in there. When you read this, you kind of think, oh, this happened and this happened right after. But we don't know. We don't know how long they lived in the garden. They could have been, who knows, millions of years. I don't know. I doubt there's even time then. So it's hard for us to even fathom what it was like. But they're in the garden for an uh, undisclosed amount of time. And they're just living in a very good state, what God says is very good. Now, for us, we think very good. That's not as good as the best. But when God says very good, that's really, that's, that's the best, okay? So they're, they're living in the state that is the best. It's amazing. They walk with God. They're together with God. He comes with them. It says he walks with them in the cool of the day. Um, they are just with God all the time. And he says, hey, guys, you can eat of anything in the garden. You eat of anything except one thing. You can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we see that, and we say, oh, that's mean of God. Like, why would God do that? Um, but wait a second. God didn't say, you can only eat of the apple tree, but you can't eat of any other trees in the garden. He said, you can eat of the apple tree, the banana tree, the coconut tree, the fig tree, the... What other trees are there? Orange trees. You can eat of any other tree except... One, okay? So God is bountiful. His fatherhood is bountiful. He's not, 
you know, most times we think religion restricts us, but God is saying, no, you can eat of anything you want, just don't eat of that tree. Now, why, why would God do that? Well, in, in that one action, he's giving us free will. Okay, so God doesn't want Adam and Eve, he doesn't want us to love him because he's forced us to love him. That's, that's God saying, uh, that's God not giving us a choice. But the essence of this is God gives them a choice. He gives them a choice to choose good or evil. And the tree is this distinction. So when it says it's the knowledge of good and evil, the only thing that brings Adam and Eve the knowledge of the distinction between good and evil is when they choose evil. All their lives, for however long it's been, they've been choosing good, okay? God has this tree to give them the freedom of choice. He's like, I don't want you to, I don't want you to always choose good because I've told you that, that that's what you need. He says, here, you can choose evil if you want to, but I'm going to make good way more bountiful for you. But you can choose evil if you want to. Now, I don't want you to do that because he says, you will die if you choose that. It won't be good for you. This, everything else here is life, and you can have this. And choosing life is so much easier. But we know what happens, right? Um, Adam and Eve decide they know what good is. Adam and Eve decide that they think what's good for them is actually what God has declared evil. And that's the essence of sin. When we choose what God has declared good and evil, and we make what he's declared evil into what we think is good. So think about your sin. Think about the things that you struggle with. Um, that's the essence of it. You're separating yourself from God because you think that that is good, not evil. And you, and you rationalize it, you become okay with it, whatever it looks like in your sin life. Um, and you choose that to be good in that moment. And God is saying, no, 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 no. The Father, he's like, everything is bountiful over here. Please choose life, okay? But he gives them this option, and this option is there for them to choose. So when they eat of it, the only reason they know evil now, as opposed to good, and they can see the distinction, is because now they've chosen evil. They've chosen sin. They've chosen separation from God. They've chosen to disobey, okay? And that's why they know the distinction. That's one tree in the garden. The second tree, another significant tree God's plant, God plants is called the tree of life, okay? And this tree of life, the Adam and Eve can take and eat of it, and they can live, it causes them to live forever. Now, the tree of life, I mean, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it could have been any tree in the garden. We could have had a whole forest, and God just picks a tree, and he says, that's the tree I don't want you to eat from. The tree, who knows, I don't think the tree was inherently evil. It's not like that fruit was inherently evil or bad. Um, the choice was what was evil. You follow me? The choice was what was evil, not, not the actual tree. Because God said he, he's created everything, and it's, it's very good. So it's not like he dangles evil in front of them. The choice is, is what he gives us. So now the tree of life God has this tree in the garden, and the tree of life is so significant. This, this is right at the very beginning. And Adam and Eve, uh, they fail, right? They fail, and 
uh, a wrong reading of, of what happens next is often what we, what we have, that, at, that God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden and punished them. Uh, that's a wrong reading of the Bible. God is not in the punishing business. Uh, that, that shows a, ving, a vindictive God, a God who's out to get you. God is not there waiting for you to mess up and, and going to zap you down. He's not trying to punish you. But there are consequences for actions, okay? So when I talk to my girls, for instance, I don't, we don't punish our girls. We show them that there's consequences for their actions, that when they do this, this follows and this happens. And, and this is what happens when God says, you can't be in the garden anymore. There's consequences. And there's consequences through all of creation. I mean, bushes are getting thorns and thistles. Like, that's how, how, um, how much this corrupts all of nature. And, and so he has to remove Adam and Eve from the garden. And he says this is the reason. In chapter 3, he says, the reason is... He doesn't want them to reach out their hand to take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever in this sinful state. The service is streamed life. So instead of it being an act of punishment, it's actually an act of grace. It's actually an act of love that God is, that God is giving to Adam and Eve because he's making a way for them. And in Genesis 3.15, we have the first seed form of the gospel where God says, I'm going to send you the promised one. I'm going to send you uh, the Messiah. I'm going to send someone who's going to come and destroy the enemy. I'm going to send someone who's going to come and who's going to redeem everything, all of creation. And so in order for that to happen, you can't live perpetually in this sinful state. I've got to put you out of the garden, and now I've got to send you a rescuer. And that's what the Bible is about. So the very beginning, the reason why, why Moses doesn't spend a whole lot of time in the Garden of Eden, why he, he spends the rest of the time from our sinful state on, is because uh, it's a story about a rescuer coming to rescue us. And that's what the story of the Bible is about. Um, okay, so you're saying, why? Like, who cares? You know, why, why does that matter for me? Um, you know, God is, God is so, he's, he's been pursuing us from the beginning of time. He's been chasing after us. He's been calling us. Jesus is calling us through, through the entire Bible. And he's placed his image in us. And that image, the problem is that image has become defaced. It's become distorted through sin. And so we don't display that image perfectly anymore. We used to in the garden, but now we don't display it perfectly because now we know evil. Like we, we just know it. We do it. We, we sin. We fail. And God is trying to restore that image in us. Let me show you a picture of, of my girls. Um, this is Reagan on the right, and this is uh, Missy on the left. So this is Missy when they're about the same age. They look exactly alike, right? I mean, they look, they look so alike. Um, I mean, very, very similar. Now look at the next one is, is me at two. And then that's Emerson. Um, and we look, a, <laughs> we look a lot alike there. Um, and this is the image God is trying to restore in us. You know, we have a thing in our house. 
we were thinking in our house and our family where if, if they do, if they see Missy or I do something and they do that same thing, they point to them or they point to me and then they point to themselves. So if we, if I'm trying to think of an example, if, if Emerson, uh, just if she, let's say she likes, she ate a mushroom yesterday. Um, I love mushrooms. Missy hates mushrooms. She eats a mushroom and she's like, hey, me, you, like me, you. She points to herself and she points to me. And then if she sees something that, uh, particularly in looks, like if, if they look like Missy in something, they, they point to themselves and point to Missy. And, uh, and what it does is it reinforces who they are. It reinforces the image that's from us in them. And they say, I'm like you. You're like me. It's amazing. They, they're like, we're like each other. And it makes them proud to be our children. And it makes me proud to have them as daughters because they recognize things that we've put in them, things that we just naturally uh, act like together. And God is the same way with us, I believe. Whenever we live out this image, he points to you, and then he points to himself, and he says, yeah, that's me. So when you love like God loves, he says, yes, that's me and you. When you, when you forgive like only God can forgive, he says, that's me, like, you're like me. When you live in joy and let joy reign in your life over your cares, he says, that's my joy in you. He says, that's my girl, that's my boy. That's, that's my child. And as we f hear God as Father, as we trust Jesus as the Son, as we just obey the Spirit in truth, that happens more and more. God continues to point to us in Him. And He says, that's me. You're like me. He says, you are my son. He says, you are my daughter. And that's far greater than any earthly father can give you, any affirmation or any approval an earthly father can give you. Because guess what? If you are in Jesus Christ, you don't have to do anything to be approved. You're already approved because he's done it all. You're already affirmed because he's done it all. And so when, when you start to live as Jesus lives, when he and the, his spirit starts to mold you and you start to conform to his image, as the Bible says, then he starts to, then that image begins to be restored in you. He starts to see you and him more. And the whole Bible is about getting back to the Garden of Eden, getting back to this perfect, very good state. And so the tree of life is very significant because we see it at the beginning of the Bible. We see it in Psalm 1. He says, anyone who hears, trusts, and obeys is like, some, is like a tree planted by streams of water. This is the tree of life in Psalm 1. And then we see it on the cross. Through the cross of Christ, through this piece of wood, Jesus gives life back to us through this tree. And then we see the tree of life at the very end of the Bible. So we see it at the beginning, and then we see it at the end. And the tree of life is sitting there. The throne of God is in the middle. And then there's a river running through, splitting through the tree. And it's just showing like living water splitting through the tree of life. And God says, here it is, guys. It was always here waiting for you. And Jesus is sitting there 
right in the midst of it. And so we see the tree of life all come back together. And that's what the point of the scriptures is, is to get us back to living life like God meant us to live it. Because the reality is the life we're living right now, the cares you're worrying about right now, are probably not the ones God wants you to be worrying about. It's probably not the life he wants for you. He wants something so great and so grand and so much better for you. And he wants your cares not to dictate you anymore. He wants you to say, I can dictate my cares because I have a father who's approved me, who's affirmed me, who is everything to me. And he's put his image inside me and I can live that image out. I can call it out in others. As a church, we can call it out of our city. We can be a church that builds bridges to oppressed communities. We can be a church that, um, that looks at uh, those who, who are uh, oppressed and, and lift them up, be the lifter of their heads, the Bible says. We can care for a city. We can ensure a city that we want to build up culture and build up society and not be ones who, who take away from it, but actually build into the things that our city actually values that are like the image of God, justice and love. And we can show them that there is a better way and it's through Jesus Christ. And that's the truth we have, that's the truth we live by. Last thing is when Jesus dies and he raises from the grave, he appears to disciples, like 500 of them. He appears at different times to different disciples. And he appears to these two in Luke chapter 24 along this road. And when he appears to them, they don't recognize him. They, they can't physically recognize who he is. And they're talking about the news. They're talking about what happened. They're like, hey, this guy, he was this great prophet in Israel. Um, and he died on this cross. They executed him. And now his body's gone. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm right here. Um, and they don't recognize him. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, look at me, look at me. He actually opens the Bible to them. It says he opens the scriptures, and he walks them through the scriptures. And in that instant, they recognize him. They say, you're the guy. You're the guy that the prophets talked about. You're the guy who, who we've been waiting for all our lives, all our history. We've been waiting for you to come. And they look at each other, and Jesus disappears in that moment. And they look at each other and they say, gosh, did not our hearts burn within us when he was walking us through the scriptures? And that's what we want for you through this series. I want you to see the Bible in a way that when you read this and you see Jesus all over and you hear his voice calling you, it burns something in your heart. And you say, did not my heart burn within me because I saw Jesus calling and I hear Jesus' voice calling out to me through the pages of this book. That's the image of God. God is trying to call that image out of you.